should I say, hey, new mic, who this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Montana. And I'm Samantha. And we have new mics. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, so I feel super fancy. Oh, I know. It sounds a lot better. I, I hope everybody can notice that. If you do, or if you don't, don't put it in a review. Thanks. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but anyway, um, you're listening to Reaper, Reaper Tales. Tales. <laughs> and today is uh, part two of the Howlett, Tracy Howlett, and J.B. Beasley case. But first, Montana, I think we were going to do the same drink, but I feel like you've made a change. I did. <laughs> so, and I'm so excited about this. And I know, I know I nerded out on the first episode, and I'm about to nerd out a little bit on this one, but not as much as the first one. So we're doing the same recipe. Um, It is the strawberry DNA cocktail, which is actually just a shot. And just to refresh you on that, that is two-thirds ounce gin, one-third ounce uh, blue curacao liqueur, Two to three tablespoons of lime juice, two ounces of pineapple juice, frozen strawberries, and some powdered sugar on the rim of your shot glass. The only difference that you're going to do with this one is instead of strawberries, you're going to use bananas. And I'm going to tell you why right now. (laughs) Fruits like strawberries and bananas, because they are octopoids, octoploids, (laughs) and triploids, respectively. This means that each strawberry cell has eight sets of DNA, and each banana cell has three sets. So there's a lot of available DNA to extract from it. The only difference that you're going to get in this shot from the last one is that you're going to get like a... um, So in the strawberry one, you're going to get like a distinctive white color below the strawberries where you can see the DNA. And with bananas, as you know, while bananas are quote unquote yellow, the inside is kind of an off white. So the DNA is not going to be, there's not going to be that huge like demarcation line between the DNA and the banana. Um, However, DNA, when it's extracted like that, is going to have kind of like a cotton candy sort of texture to it. So if you put like a toothpick or something like that in it, and you swirl it around, it'll stick to the toothpick like cotton candy, and the banana won't. And you can pull it out as just DNA. So you and I know get that's... its DNA cotton candy. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. So I know it's not as cool as the strawberry one, but it's just as tasty. So cheers. Cheers. Now, Sam. All right. Are you ready? To hear the rest of this case. We're going to come to a conclusion. Sort of. It's technically still unsolved, but I'll get to that. I've been so excited to hear this part (laughs) too. I I literally, (laughs) I texted Samantha uh, earlier this week and I was like, can we go ahead and record part two? Because I'm trying not to look it up and I just want you to tell me what happens. Please, 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 please. I mean, it's all over the news lately. Well, especially back in 2020, it got back in the news but i applaud you for your restraint so we'll get back into it and you'll know by the end of this podcast so uh we had part one um the last thing we had talked about was the uh barentine had been arrested he was in jail but in january he was released because basically the grand jury said nope not enough but it did follow him his whole life. Um, and that was just, you know, that's just really unfortunate because they didn't have any any kind of real proof. They just basically put him in there because he made up stories. So the murders remained unsolved for more than 20 years. There were many suspects and theories regarding what happened and why. Um, some resources I saw said they tested the DNA against like 50 to 70 suspects. To rule them out. How how much DNA did they have? Right? That was my question too. So 
I don't know. I don't know. That that was what was claimed. So I I, that, I don't know if that was the police had claimed that or if they even named a number. That's just various numbers that we got. The first, so I'm going to go over a couple of theories that um, came about throughout the time because you got to think this was 20 years. So they were desperately wanting resolution. They wanted an answer. Nobody was providing it. It was a cold case. They said they were still reviewing it, but they really hit a dead end and they really didn't know what to do from this point. So people, the lovely sleuths that we are, were researching and looking. There were plenty of people that lived in or around Ozark that had their own theories. There were people that came forward and had different information. Um, There's no way of knowing how much of it's true, how much of it's made up. But here's a few theories. I'm ready for it. Let's go. One, there was a grainy video of a white pickup truck at the convenience store at the same time Tracy was calling her mother at the payphone. The store was already closed and there was no record of purchase for gas at the pump. The video doesn't show anyone getting out of the truck and there's not a clear picture of the driver. And then the truck and its driver just disappear. Well, I mean, it was 20 years ago. It's very possible. Security footage today is not that good. I can't imagine what it would have been like 20 years ago. But I mean, think about it, though. 20 years ago was 1999. I know how much that hurts because it hurts me. But (laughs) um, the authorities felt that this was a really good lead and they really felt like there was something there, but they just couldn't find any more information. The theory was this kind of led to it being just a random person that targeted them. Like this person was at the gas station, saw them, two girls all alone, followed them, and then killed them. But there's no way of knowing um, who that person was because they didn't have any kind of identifying information on the truck outside of it being just a white truck. So that didn't go anywhere. And if you've ever been to Alabama, (laughs) rural Alabama, (laughs) there's plenty of those nondescript white trucks. Now, if it was if it was regular and it wasn't lifted with big old tires, maybe it was a little bit easier to find. But (laughs) we won't go there. There was also a man in Mississippi that was suspected, though, there were, again, there was no physical evidence linking him to the crime. He was staying with the family at the time of the murders, and he left two days after. He was arrested in Jones County and extradited for an outstanding warrant for possession of drug paraphernalia that was issued in Ozark. So the police wanted to, quote-unquote, extensively interview him and take his DNA to compare to the samples. But wait, hang on. Let's pause for a minute. Why? <laughs> um, I have a feeling it has something to do with the fact that he had a warrant. Because obviously, obviously, if he had drug paraphernalia, he he could easily have killed these these girls. Why not? What? <laughs> <laughs> he left two days after. That's suspicious. Or his trip was over. And it just happened to coincide. Yeah. What? I don't. Yeah. So at the time, Spivey, which was the lead investigator, I think he was the chief of police, um, stated that there was no factual information to connect him to the case. You don't say. They just wanted to be, quote unquote, doubly sure he was not involved. What? <laughs> Did he have a white truck? <laughs> Didn't say. I'm assuming no. So, you know. That's just another theory that the police had. It's a terrible theory. (laughs) Yet another one was that there was a man from Michigan that was interviewed and DNA samples were taken in connection to the case. He had attended the party the night of the, he had attended a party the night of the murders that was near where the car was found. He was not, not the party they were going to. Right. It was one that was close by where the car was. Okay. He was unable to account for three to four hours of time on the night of the murders and then later made, quote unquote, suspicious statements to people. Okay, many questions there. Uh, (laughs) Number one, how old is this kid? It wasn't a kid. It did not give an age. 
So I, so they're saying man. So I'm assuming these suspects are somewhat protected, kind of like um, the previous case that you did. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they, because it, it kind of got ruled out, they can't really release much information. True, 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 true. Um, other question is, I'm, my assumption is that he was at a party. Uh, we all know what happens at parties. Uh, we drink. Sometimes we smoke a little weed. Might There's do Sometimes I can't account for a few hours. <laughs> There's a few times I can't account for a few hours. I don't really see how that makes you suspicious. Well, no, he made suspicious statements to people. What were his statements? And, well, I'll get to that. He also left within a few days of the murders yet again. He's also okay. from Michigan. But, he probably yeah, went home. Say, he doesn't even live in Alabama. <laughs> maybe he has a job he needs to get back to i mean he was going to a party uh, or he lives in an entirely different state (laughs) that is 10 plus hours away so the investigators actually traveled three times to michigan to interview him well that's a waste of money right but there was no link found and the dna wasn't a match well as we found out dna doesn't matter in this case (laughs) Yeah, well, to some extent. Uh, Spivey declined to elaborate on what was meant by, quote-unquote, suspicious. No. So so he, he says that it's suspicious statements, but then doesn't elaborate, doesn't release what he's even talking about. So I think what was suspicious is he was from out of state. He can't account for three to four hours of time at a party. Come on. And then he left. The dude probably just had, like, some cocaine or ecstasy, and he was just like... I don't know, man. I don't know what to tell you. Like, this is we going to get at a party. This is going to get bananas because keep in mind, this is two people that they have suspected that were from out of state. And why would you target somebody from out of state? Like, why would they come all the way to Ozark, Alabama just to take care of two girls, just to kill two girls? and leave their car like that doesn't even make sense to me these would not be the primary suspects in my opinion no i would 100 percent agree and the girls weren't even supposed to be there so how did they even know that (laughs) that the girls were going to be there they just got lost yeah it's crime of opportunity but also like it it doesn't it would make more sense to me if the police thought like if they had researched where these other people were from or these other men were from and they saw other young women young girls disappearing or the same thing happening to them in that same area then yeah okay but it's you have nothing they were in the vicinity and they left within a couple days but obviously this must have been like a weekend type thing so it kind of makes sense that they would leave in a couple days because if the girls were going they were still in school if they were going to a party more than likely at the earliest, it might be a Thursday. I mean, I wouldn't think that you'd party in the middle of the week, 10 miles away from your home at 17. And these girls were responsible, too, because Tracy called her mom. So I feel like it was probably the weekend. And they went home after they recovered from their parties. Like, not a big deal. Okay. There was also a, po- a couple posts on a forum that I found. Um, it was on white lies beyond.boards.net. And it was from two people that are actually from that area. So it was things that they had thought about. Um, one of them said, one thing that I don't understand is where did all of the bud come from? In about a 10 mile radius of that store, there is only one place they could have went through mud. About 0.3 miles away from the store was an old community pool called Jones. I talked to a guy that just blocks away from the pool. He was just blocks away from the pool. And he said that he heard a shot, but that he was dismissed as not knowing what he heard because he was in his 80s. And when I talked to him, he said, I fought in the war. I know what a gunshot sounds like. I just think they should have followed that lead to the end because it's the only dirt road within miles. I'm so ashamed of our community for letting these two girls' murders go unsolved for this long. Maybe the truth will come out one day. So, I might we might just cut this, but I'm going to ask. Do you know what um, color this man was, the 80-year-old man was? No. 
Okay. Well, no, I don't. They don't. They don't um, elaborate on right. the person that they talk to. But especially in that area, it would it wouldn't be uncommon for them to hmm. disregard wait. somebody of color. Just wait. Um, and another member of the same forum posted on April seventeenth, two thousand fifteen. Officer Jimmy Cook guaranteed. Three weeks prior to this, he acquired my cell phone number by going to Verizon. Not sure what he told them in order to acquire it, but when asked, his reply was, I have my ways. He knew me as a waitress and had always said and made very perverted comments directed at me. During the phone call, he was trying to convince me to go on his boat with him. I told him that my mom wouldn't allow it since I was underage. He asked me not to tell my mom and to pretend I was going to spend the night at a friend's house. After telling him that it was inappropriate, he proceeded to tell me that it was innocent and that his wife would be there too. Then he asked me to bring a girlfriend and we could each tell our parents that we were at each other's house. This is not the first shady thing he did as an officer. I can clearly picture him pulling them over and then letting his old man hormones go into overdrive. He used to carry an additional weapon in the trunk of his police car, which I have personally seen. It's him. I know it. And I've been telling anyone that will listen. Okay. So that's a local person that actually had a first-hand account with this person, with this officer. Yeah, that was a lot of information, right? Definitely seems like that would be a lead that should be followed. Um, yeah, 100%. And they followed it? Of course. No. Uh, there was also uh, one thing that I wanted to mention right here, um, just because I don't know how much I clarified in the first episode, it's been mentioned that the police completely ruined slash destroyed the scene during the six hours it took them to examine the trunk, which led many to believe that it might have been someone in law enforcement and the police were covering it up. Now, keep in mind, this is also a small town. These police may not have been adequately trained. They may not have ever come across this type of a crime scene. They didn't really know what they were doing, obviously. Um, not saying it's an excuse. Not saying that's what happened. Just a thought. Um, it's entirely possible because we don't, there's a lot going on still even that it could have been a combination of incompetence <laughs> and just lackluster police work. Yeah. But it's just sketch all around. But in successful cases where, <clears throat> so in successful cases where it's a rural area and they are not equipped to handle or have not handled situations like this they have called other districts other counties who are more equipped to come in and do the work not for them but with them well i will say though remember in the first episode i said they had contacted dothan and had dothan investigators on their way but for whatever the reason it was taking them six hours i don't know um but you know and and in that six hours they completely destroyed the scene I don't care how bad your training is. It doesn't take a brain surgeon to know that you shouldn't be touching anything. You shouldn't be moving things around. You just leave it alone. You guard it. You don't let anybody in. It's that simple until they get there. And I would venture a guess to say if another area is coming in to take over, that's what they're going to tell you. Keep the scene intact. Don't touch anything. We'll be there as soon as we can. Well, in fact, aren't they not supposed to touch anything until the medical examiner shows up? Oh, I don't know. I won't pretend to know that. I'm pretty sure that that's because once I think, and I think this goes back to, um, is it Kendrick Johnson case in Georgia where the medical examiner showed up and like they had just had shown up a few hours later and he was like i can't sign off on anything because you guys pretty much ruined yeah that sounds familiar everything so i think i think you're not supposed i i can't be 100 sure i might be talking out of my ass but i'm pretty sure that they're not supposed to touch anything till i mean you know, it makes sense and in rural places like that they don't always have a medical examiner they normally just have like a coroner and a coroner is not a medical examiner yeah, well, and see, Not at always. this point, so between the six hours that they were waiting to open the trunk to find the girls, they hadn't determined that there were any bodies. 
Because remember, they hadn't opened the trunk yet. That's right. What is they it were just missing at this about trunks. I ha- oh yeah, <laughs> you had that other case. The very Whoops. first case. There's a dead person in the she trunk. She waited a whole weekend. She's like, "What does that smell in my car? What is that? It smells." I'm gonna terrible. check everything else in the car but the trunk because surely it's not in the trunk. I cleaned it yesterday. <laughs> so anyway, there's also the fact that Beasley's driver's license was on the dash, which led a lot of people to believe that they may have been pulled over by either a police officer or somebody pretending to be a police officer. And that person killed them and left them in the trunk. Yeah. Because it is kind of odd. She would have had to pull her driver's license out because everything else was left in their purses. And it was on the dash. So hands the driver's license to the police officer. They just toss it on the dash. And it would explain why her window was rolled down. Or I know that uh, in some situations, the first thing that... So the first thing you're supposed to do when you get pulled over is take your keys out of your ignition, put it on the dash... Mm-hmm. And some people go ahead and get their ID out and they put it on the dash to wait for the police officer to come over. So maybe she put it up there and then that person came over, never handed it to the police officer. Yeah. Because that's, that's one of the things you do just to prepare. I've never heard that before, but okay. That makes sense. I've never heard that. I've heard having it ready, but I've never heard putting it, actually putting it on the dash. So there is also, this is a theory I want to make that clear. This has not been proven. This is going to be juicy. It's going to be juicy. Um, Do not hold me accountable for this. This is from a couple of different articles. Uh, But this is regarding a possible police cover-up. There was a woman named Rena Crum who was a sworn Ozark auxiliary police officer that came forward and accused the, a police officer of murdering Beasley and Howlett. She also claimed that numerous of the law, law enforcement officials had knowledge of the murderer's identity and covered it up. They even got rid of evidence and made threats to her. She claimed one, po- one cop in particular, Butch Whittington, messaged her on Facebook and told her to keep her fucking mouth shut. She also named two other cops, Rex Tipton and Eddie Henderson. She went as far as to say that the police chief, Tony Spivey, also knew the killer's identity and helped cover it up. This <sighs> is So this is giving me very big Rodney Reed vibes right now. <laughs> it so, gets deeper. It if gets you don't deeper. know the Rodney Reed case, research it. So she alleged... That on the night of July 30, 31st, 1999, when the girls um, were missing, I will, were in Ozark, um, the police, there was a police officer, the one that she accused, had pulled over Beasley and demanded to know the whereabouts of some cassette tapes that contained recorded conversations that could have incriminated top Ozark police officials and others in cocaine distribution and profits. Not surprisingly. According to an article written by John Carroll, I've also read that article. He's a journalist. Um, They were not happy that he wrote this article. The retired officer believes that the two girls intended to use the tapes in a court case that was scheduled for the coming Monday, August 2nd, less than 48 hours after they were murdered. The tapes were to be entered as evidence. Carol also states in the article that Rena was severely beaten with a baseball bat after she came forward out of fear she refuses to name the person who almost killed her. Despite her allegations and the fact that she named certain police officers about their involvement in the murders, she refused to name the officer who supposedly actually murdered the girls or how JB acquired the tapes. However, it is the understanding of the author of this website, which I will name, that JB was present when the conversations took place and she secretly recorded them. The law enforcement officials Rena has accused have denied any involvement, surprise, in the murders. On January 29th, 2016, let's see, Keith Cawthon, Rex Tipton, Tony Spivey, Eddie Henderson, and Gary Butch Woodington, all Ozark Alabama police officials, I'll spit it out in a minute, filed a lawsuit against Rena Crum, John Carroll, and Dean Matthews for libel, slander, and defamation of character. So I'm going to interject real quick. Okay. Um, I'm not saying that Rena, right? Mm-hmm. 
that Rena made this up. Uh, however, we're talking about the late 90s mm-hmm. when people didn't have cell phones. So how did JB have a device to record? They were cassettes. Little cassettes? The little Who? cassettes that for like a voice recorder. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because I oh, do right. you remember in the nineties we had separate devices like a calculator and a voice recorder and a no problem. no no I know I just <laughs> it didn't it didn't seem very common to have something like that I mean I had one because I had a little spy kit and I thought I was a spy for a little while um, spoiler alert I wasn't yeah so there's a reason why they think she had she had recorded the conversations um, so she was aware of it beforehand. She, I think she suspected it. Um, John Carroll owned HenryCountyReport.com at the time and wrote a few articles on her allegations. Interestingly, since 2016, the website is now illegal. Or now illegal. A legal, if I could say it correctly. Online magazine. In May of 2016, she was arrested, arrested for harassment. Despite an investigation over the years into the murders, no one has ever been arrested and the case remains unsolved. Police Chief Tony Spivey worked the case until his retirement in 2015, which mm. oddly correlates with right around the time that Rena Crumb actually started talking. Oh, okay. So well, I, I have another question. Okay. So, these girls young women were 17 mm-hmm. why on earth were they hanging out with grown ass police officers I'll get to that okay alright so, right, there was there was also a claim and I'm not going to go into like official like quoting from the, the articles but there was also a few conversations that JB had with a friend where she insinuated that she was in a relationship with a married man and it was suspected that it was one of these police officers and that she was threatened. This was kind of a, a diversion of this theory or what this lady has said that she had tapes about this police officer so she could have just been there and overheard it and then was like oh i'm gonna record this the next time i'm there because this is this is definitely this is not how this is supposed to go but she said i'm in a relationship that i probably shouldn't be in but it's fine because we're just having fun girl so, you shouldn't be in a relationship with a grown-ass man exactly you're she just turned 17 that day that she yeah. was killed so 16 year old in the relation in a relationship with a married man who may or may not have been a police officer that is always so uh, icky to me that is such a bad idea but you know you could also take that one post where that girl was talking about that one police officer that creeped her out and was trying to get her on his boat so i mean this was obviously a big theory for a while and they they said that it was possible that that's why he knew she had the tapes because she had threatened to release the tapes and maybe he didn't he was like you don't really have those and then decided well never mind that's also why they think they might have been an ozark because the police officer was an ozark police officer she was making that threat that's why they were there maybe even met up with him there on purpose and then he just took matters into his own hands that would make sense if she had felt kind of threatened anyway about the situation if he thought she had tapes that's why she called her mom saying hey i'm on my way home knowing she was gonna meet him it's and that possible. her mom would be expecting her that would make sense well and it was tracy that called her mom right and jb was the one that was assumed to have done this so it's possible tracy had no idea about anything that was going on and she just ended up being collateral damage I find because it hard to believe. There was also a rumor that a police officer allegedly accidentally fired his gun when he was trying to hit Beasley with it and then shot Tracy to cover it up. Of course, all of this is still unconfirmed. This is just another theory. These are some wild theories. <sighs> yeah. In addition, many have suspected that certain aspects of the autopsy results have been suppressed in this case. That could be... 
because they're trying to keep it to the side to kind of rule out suspects if they're giving bad information or if they accidentally slip and give information that's not been released or something like that, that they do that, obviously. Um, and you know, they do that, but I'll get into some of the results that are very weird that it seems like they withheld. The current pending trial has led to many questions, but as the trial has been delayed multiple times, we're just going to have to wait until August as of right now, um, to hear more about hopefully more information that they've maybe been withholding to try to help catch the person who did it. And apparently they feel like it's good. Yeah. I'm going to get to it. Um, So there is a trial that will be taking place in August, hopefully. And hopefully it'll shut the case. So that leads us to um, 2019. Now, before, before we do this, um, because it is 2019, I kind of want to stay on the timeline. So I'm going to give you this information and then I'm going to have to backtrack to a lead that wasn't followed. So in the March of 2019, not too long after the Golden State Killer was caught using genealogy information, the police used the same method to attempt to identify the DNA in this case. They identified 45-year-old Coley McCraney. He He had not been on their radar at all, despite him attending school in Ozark. He lived less than a mile away from where the car was discovered. He would have been 26 at the time of the murders. He served in the military, and there is a military base not far from Dothan and Ozark. He worked as a truck driver. He owned a church, and he's currently married. Um, One of the news articles I read also stated that he was a retired police officer. His ex-wife... A retired police officer Mm -hmm. from where? It wouldn't say, but I bet you money it was probably Ozark. That's not being released right now. Just said a retired police officer. Okay. His ex-wife, they divorced in 1998. They have two children, so it's not the person he's currently married to. Apparently also filed a complaint with the Air Force that McCraney had assaulted her in 1994. Reportedly, McCrary was ordered to have his DNA taken to confirm paternity in a case just one to two, and I say one to two because I read two different articles that gave two different times, days before the girls were found murdered. But paternity tests are different than criminal cases. So in a paternity test, they're not going to keep your DNA on file. The only time that they'll keep take or keep your DNA is, A, if you've committed a felony, and B, if you submit it yourself through a genealogy website. But would he have known that? Because it doesn't say whether he was a police officer at that time. And would the common person that doesn't look at true crime, doesn't go into this, would they know that? I kind of doubt it. Doubtful, yeah. So he refused and he never showed up for the test. And because of his refusal, he was named the legal father of the child quote-unquote, born out of wedlock. Oh. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, they were saying, you know, just do the test. If it comes back negative, then you're fine. But if it's positive... So, I mean, you gotta... If you really don't think it's your kid, take the test. Because it's possible it's not your kid. Then you don't have to worry about it. But he just flat-out refused to go. Which is odd. And he just never showed up. They made a they made an appointment for him. He just never showed up. So, yeah. That's After, so weird. What? Right? Oh, it gets better. Hang on. But this After is before. You, this is before. One right? to two days before the murder. Or before the girls were found. So, if he's the guy that did this, there's a reason he didn't want to submit. So, let's put aside maybe... Maybe he had a plan. Either he had a plan or he's done this before. Very true. I mean, if they cover... Let's say that theory is accurate and they did cover it up because they knew him and they were protecting him. Let's say that's what happened. It would make sense that it had happened before and they'd already covered it up. And this one just got more news because they were from a different area. God, this is so much like the Rodney Reed case. I just, I can't. (laughs) Only Alabama Rodney Reed. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Uh, So after he fell behind in his child support to the tune of $17,000, by the way, he was taken back to court 
and he was required. There was no, you can refuse and walk away. You have to take a DNA test. And it showed a 99.99% chance that he was the child's father. So obviously, yeah, congratulations. You are the father. It's not been confirmed if those results were used to help identify him in this case. Probably not. I doubt since it. he was not. This was... Um, this was in the 2000s, so I think it was like 10 years before they actually located him with the genealogy thing. So probably not, but it is interesting that he ended up having to go back to court anyway, and they they just forced him to take the DNA test in this case because he of the child probably knew support. more about it by then. My, and I can't be 100% sure, and now I want to look it up, but my thought on that is that in a legal proceeding like that, you're submitting your DNA to be used only in comparison to that other DNA. I not would think so. to be submitted to a database and not to be submitted for any criminal investigation. But are there not some cases when these people fall behind in their child support where it basically does become a criminal case? If it gets up to a certain amount. Because, I mean, that's $17,000. That had to be years of him not making the payments. I, yes. So, I'm guessing that it's probably, yeah, a criminal case. I mean, I could be wrong. We're not talking about a violent criminal case. No, although he did have a report before this from his ex-wife where she reported to the Air Force that he had assaulted her. But they're not, he's not submitting his DNA because of that attack he's only submitting his dna to be processed against the dna of his quote-unquote yeah and they weren't suspicious of him yet so well yeah and i my i would assume especially in a situation like that now i gotta look it up i'm gonna have to look this up my assumption would be that you can't because even when you submit your dna to like one of those databases i've done it with two different ones you have to sign off on the fact that, yeah, your DNA is going to be submitted to this database and it can be used to locate, you know, genealogical, you know, in any type of situation. I think they would be even more strict when it comes to the law and submitting your DNA. Because if you submit your DNA and they use that DNA in a different aspect of it, you probably have a case against the state. Yeah, make it an inadmissible. Yeah. Uh, Which, by the way, if you do that, I to each his own, but I totally said, yeah, by the way, use my DNA because you're not going to find anything yeah. on me. Please, by all means, if my family member does something, go for it. I want you like, to catch them. <laughs> please. Let them in a cover on my podcast. Also, <laughs> also let me know so that I can make a <laughs> podcast about it. <laughs> I'm going to add them on my uh, Christmas letter. (laughs) This year, Debbie got arrested because her DNA was found out by not by the one and only me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Aunt Debbie. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) I don't have an Aunt Debbie, so. I mean, let's just say there's somebody that's related to me. I won't name how um, that refuses to do it because they don't want their DNA out there. And I'm like, hmm. I'm immediately suspicious that there's something going on out there and I need to know. I'm going to believe it, but is it (laughs) No. Okay. (laughs) Good good guess, though. I don't know. He might have said that. Uh, He married it. Anyway, getting back to the case. He married again shortly after the girls were found and has, quote unquote, lived a quiet life since then living in Dothan. He's also founded a nonprofit named Truth Life Ministries based in Dothan. That's where he's been living until... The genealogy thing came up. Well, that's ironic. Right? (laughs) Truth. What an ironic name. So, again, he was... uh, He was identified in March of 2019. On June 10th, 2019, a grand jury indicted McCraney on five counts of capital murder. Now, how they got to five, I'm not sure. I couldn't find that. But there's apparently separate... Like the each of the different counts, they they may be trying him for more than just like first degree murder. It could be several different types or something. I think you can be charged. Um, 
I think you can be charged. So you can be charged with different ones. So you can be charged with first degree, first degree with intent to like rob, first yeah. degree. So it's like different ones. So he got five. He was indicted. The DNA, the DA stated he was seeking the death penalty. According to the state's case, McCraney's DNA matched the semen fragments found on Beasley's underwear, sweater, and vaginal swab, showing that McCraney had raped her. Now, if you recall, in episode one, I mentioned that they denied that the girls had been raped, but the autopsy has never been released. Did they say how many spermatozoa was found in that DNA? No, no that hasn't been released either. Okay. So, based on what they filed, they're saying Beasley was raped. But previously said But that previously they said that she wasn't. So, okay. and gotta, and all that I could see was like, oh, well, they were doing that in respect for the family. No, no, there. That's a weird thing to say. No, they weren't, and now, yes, they are. So that's one of the things that I did listen to that podcast that I mentioned in the last one, and that's one thing that they kept saying was it's like they keep going back on stuff that they've said in the past, like at the beginning of the case to now. And they they asked, like, the defense lawyer who was um, helping on the case, they said, have you ever had this happen? And he was like, no, not not to this extent. I mean, them going back and forth, like, refining stuff out in the, the like, preliminary hearings that before they said were one way, and now they're saying it's a different way. So... And especially when you're... It's an active investigation... To make a, um, a um, what is the word I'm looking for? A solid statement of either yes denial. or no. Yeah, yeah, a denial like that. Th- that's a huge statement. Yeah, it does. It doesn't make any sense. You whatsoever. can't because you can't take that back. Like, why would you say no? It's not this way. Oh, just kidding. We actually did do this, and it's the uh, it's the opposite. If it they just were trying to sense. protect the family, they would just simply not release whether or not they were sexually assaulted. Or well, not. and now they're trying to say that they didn't specifically say she wasn't. They just said something like it didn't appear that they had been. But I mean, you but have it, the autopsy, so you can just simply say that information is not to be released. Yeah. Either way. Like, you don't have to make a statement one way or another. Just say, we can't talk about that or we refuse to make a statement on that. It's not that Girl. difficult. I can't wait for this to be done and over with so I can request that autopsy real quick. <laughs> <laughs> now that I yeah, know you're not, you're probably not going to get it because they haven't, I don't think they're going to release it for public until after the, the court case. No, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it'd have to be like, Hopefully it'll be done in August, but they said the, well, I'll get into that. Anyway, uh, shortly after the April, so I'm per the appeal.org. I'm going to quote all of this just because it's really interesting about the DNA aspect. Shortly after the April 2018 break in the Golden State Killer case, Ozark police sent crime scene DNA evidence to Parabon Nano Labs, which is one of the major, by the way, one of the major forensic consulting firms that does the DNA at yeah. Parabon, genetic material was upla- uploaded into GED Match. In a press conference in March, the leader of Parabon's genetic genealogy team said her colleagues were not able to find a match to the crime scene DNA within the third cousin range or to create a list of probable suspects in okay. this case. However, Parabon did build a family tree with several probable surnames. On March 19th, Ozark Police Chief Marlis Walker told the New York Times that he scanned the list and recognized one of the surnames, McCraney, because he'd gone to high school with him. Later, police asked Mr. McCraney for his DNA with the hopes that he would be related to the suspect to help flesh out the family tree, so he voluntarily submitted his DNA. The lab results indicated a high degree of confidence that McCraney was a match on Beasley's sweater and underwear. High degree of confidence. What percentage is that? Doesn't list it. (laughs) 
And the other thing I want to mention is experts in forensics remind us that DNA evidence should not be the only factor in con- in convicting a suspect. There are many factors regarding DNA to take into account, and DNA is not always infallible. There are and should be many other factors to take into account as well. DNA should be weighed appropriately when bringing a suspect to trial. Now I'm going to go back to 2000. Um, I'm going to go, it's forward on the timeline, but but back on my report. According to Cassie-O'Hara.medium.com, this is quoted from their website. Until March 2000, police had no leads as to where the primary murder scene was. Because remember, they felt like they had been killed somewhere else and then put in the trunk and then driven there. It was then that a woman who lived just south of Ozark reported that on the night of the murder, she heard screams and what she believed to be two gunshots. Call the police. This is in 2000. Call the police. What are you doing? March 2000. This is a year. Not even a year after. So, like, why are you just sitting on this? When asked (laughs) why she didn't report it sooner with all the media coverage surrounding the girl's death, she stated, well, she didn't want to get involved, according to the Ozark Police Chief Spivey. The area the woman led authorities to was surrounded by trees and beside a vacant house. There are two World War II era buildings covered in spider webs that are settled approximately 100 feet off the roadway. With the assistance of the FBI, crime scene investigators combed through the area and located a 9mm shell casing, which is the same caliber as the casing found in the trunk with the girls' bodies. Investigators also collected soil samples to be compared with the samples of dirt found on their clothing, and the findings have not been made public. So that is yet another thing that may or may not be released in the court case later on okay this is in 2000 they didn't release anything that they found does that not seem sus seems sus i mean also also the casing did i mention the casing that they found on the leg of one of the girls in the trunk in the Uh, first episode i don't remember i think think maybe you did in the first one but i don't remember so refresh me so when they looked in the trunk and they found the girls when they I heard differing accounts. Some of them made it sound like it was on one and then the other. But when I saw, I actually saw a picture that they took of the casing in the trunk. And it looked like it was the the girl that was on the bottom. There was a casing just sitting on her leg. And it was a nine millimeter casing. Just, just perched on her leg. So the Which way is the- a random place to be if he, if somebody put them in the trunk. And then drove somewhere. It never moved. Unless, the only thing I could think is the other body was holding it in place. Or they ended up in that place. They were outside of the car. Whoever it was attacked them. Shot. One of them was already in the trunk. And then shot the other one, and the casing ended up in the trunk, and then that person put the other body in the trunk, then drove them to the other area. So that would yeah, that that's would a possibility explain how the casing's in that. that area, and then in the trunk as well. Because I can't see a casing just like holding on to a. I mean, it's possible. But. Well, and and the the suspect's not going to leave the casing in there if he notices it. So that kind of makes sense that if he did that and then just toss Beasley's body into there because they're pretty sure she's the one that died second if she was like on top of it it would have held it in place and he may not have noticed it because he whoever it was left the other casing where more than likely it happened so obviously he wasn't looking for the casings yeah he probably because that's what originally they thought he did he they thought he pulled the casing because they couldn't locate it but then you've got this lady that says oh I heard two gunshots takes them to the exact place and they find a shell casing like you guys did not really comb these areas you didn't even comb through people that might know something so anyway uh as of present day from everything that i could find there has been no motive released by the officials to this crime though at the time um he lived just a mile away from where the car was found like i said that's that's kind of they're going off the dna in his location essentially uh and they may i i I wouldn't think that they would use the cover-up theory for him being a retired police officer, but 
they may be doing something like insinuating something because of where he was, but it still blows my mind that they didn't even look at him from the beginning. I mean, they talked to all these other people that were from out of state that were close by and he lived less than a mile from where the car was found and they never even checked with him. Well, he was either a police officer, he was a military guy and he was a pastor. So, well, he wasn't a pastor until later, but yeah, there's, well, there's I mean, definitely something weird about that whole thing. Yeah. There's something weird about it, but at the same time, I find it hard. The DNA, even in the first episode that you had bothered me because it's on her shirt it's on her underwear and according to them in the beginning she wasn't raped and then she was raped and that's why i asked you know how many spermatozoa was actually in it because she could have been having an affair with this person that could have been who she was having an affair with doesn't mean that person killed her and that was one of the things that was mentioned in the podcast i'm i'm not gonna go into too much detail because that would be they did six episodes on all of the stuff on this trial. So I'm, I I can't go into all of that. But it is a really good podcast. Sorry I told you. If you're wanting to go really deep dive into this, you can listen to it. It's pretty cool. I know Montana will. But that was one thing that they did bring up. And it was one thing that I had a problem with. You know, just because there's that evidence doesn't mean that that necessarily has anything to do with it. In fact, just because he may or may not have raped her doesn't mean that he then proceeded to kill her. That's true. And, I mean, if she was 16 before that, uh, uh, is 16 legal in Alabama? It's not? All right. Either way, it's probably, you know, if it was consensual, quote-unquote, it's still rape. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no way of knowing that particular aspect, and that's one reason why forensics tell you, don't, DNA is not the end-all, be-all. You have to take other things into account the dna should support the case it shouldn't be the case basically i'm so curious to see what these cases like the actual case files say uh, and the autopsy uh records say on this they've got a lot of it quiet right now i to be a fly on the wall during that grand jury proceeding my god yeah and they're actually uh they've tried to seal the case to where you know Um, They put a gag order on and trying to prevent anybody from outside from seeing the case, but the defense will not allow that to happen because they're worried there's a suspicious reason why they want to do that. And they, they're obviously, unless the defense wants that to happen and then the prosecutor makes this argument, if the prosecutor wants this to happen, the defense makes this argument of that's not allowing people their constitutional right of, you know, a trial that's basically open that can be viewed in the public outside of just the jury and the judge, which I get, but actually, like I said, it could go either way. So I will say there is one side of this that I found very interesting and it is something that was repeated. McCraney's attorney claimed that the police interrogated him for 27 hours. And during that time he asked for a lawyer five times, but was not given access to counsel. The police also attempted to use an informant in the jailhouse, but the man actually knew McCraney from way back when and stated he didn't have any incriminating evidence against him and refused to participate. Of course they did. Did they record these interviews? Was he given breaks? Did he get... Yes and no. Food? Yeah, they recorded it, but not all of it's there from what I understand. They did give him breaks, but the what they're claiming they're counter argument is that he did not specifically ask for a lawyer he did not say i want a lawyer now what did he He say he said something uh the only two that i specifically heard but again they haven't released these videotapes or these these audios yet that's another thing that won't be released until the trial um they claim that he just said is there a, a lawyer in here and is there a lawyer available okay In my opinion, that basically is asking for a lawyer, even though he's not specifically stating it. To make it clear, the second somebody who is being interviewed even mentions the word lawyer, they're supposed... Yeah. That's what what one of the specialists They could say, maybe I should get a lawyer. Should I get a lawyer? The second they mention the word lawyer, they're supposed to stop the interview... 
allow for a lawyer to come in. They can continue the interview after they have contacted a lawyer. But the second the word lawyer comes up, they're supposed to stop the interview. Yeah. And one thing that I found very interesting on that podcast, they talked to a um, a professional about that. They actually, it was somebody who does training for that. They said, the first step before interviewing anybody, you should turn the video recorder on, go through the room, sweep it for anything. Then you bring the suspect in. Then you interview him. And then before he leaves, you take him out. You do a last sweep to make sure there's nothing left. And then you turn off the tape recorder. And if at any point in time they ask for a lawyer, you immediately terminate. It does not matter if they say the word lawyer because it does not do you any favors to continue to talk to them because you're just giving them a tool for the for the hearing regardless. Immediately terminate the interview. Not just and, the- get, and, and let it let it. All right. That's you want to talk to a lawyer. Okay. We're, we're shutting this off immediately. Not just the trial in and of itself, but the appeals process after that person would be convicted, because let's be honest, a jury would still convict based on the evidence that would be provided, regardless of whether or not that person asked for a lawyer, where they would get off or where they would be assigned a new trial would be in an appeals case, which is Mm -hmm. costing the state more money. But police departments don't care about that. They care about closing a case. Yeah. And well, and he said that he's seeking the death penalty. So if he does get the death penalty, he's got a lot of appeals to go through before. God, so many appeals. Wait, Alabama still has the death penalty? I guess so, because he said that back in 2019. So unless something's changed since then, and I don't think it has. Um. Now his original trial date was September 2020, but that was forced that was pushed forward later to 2021 due to COVID. COVID. And then it was again pushed to May 2022. Well, when May came up, there was a unexpected delay. They didn't feel like the case would be ready for trial, so they pushed it again to August of this year. And he has been held in Dale County Jail since his arrest with no bond. Oh, so they denied Bond? Yep. Was he a flight risk? I mean, I can't imagine he was. It sounds like he basically spent his entire life in the Dothan area. I mean, he was a truck driver for a while, but it's not like he's going to run in a truck. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> I Now I got to look up the Bond hearing because <laughs> I want to know <laughs> what their excuse for not giving this man Bond was. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't see anything about that. I mean, I probably could have delved deeper, but there was already just so much information. I didn't want to overwhelm. Um, there were so many theories. I mean, it w- and the other thing was there are a lot of urban legends throughout those 20 years. My husband remembers the case and he remembers hearing stories and some of the theories. So this was something that was it was a major thing for those 20 years. And there were several interviews with uh, Tracy's mom. And her biggest thing is, I just, I just want answers. I mean, it's, it's been at this point, it's been 22 years. So I just want answers. Tracy's mom or JB's family said anything since this person has been arrested? They have. um, I kind of just, don't want to delve I kind of didn't want to delve into it just because this is all still pending but basically they just they just want to put it to rest you know obviously they can't they can't find closure really because there's not really a a good answer for any of this they're still gone they still had to wait 20 years to hear anything I mean that's that's difficult in the best of circumstances now I will say JB's family um, she didn't have the best upbringing, so there's not a lot of her family involved with it. Um, it it sounded more like JB and Tracy were kind of family, and so Tracy's mom was more involved with both of them. Um, so she felt, you know, she's felt this way about both of the girls. Oh, that's sad. Um, so yeah, that's where it is right now. I'm hoping it'll go through in August. We'll actually have the trial. It'll be completed and then we can give an update after we have a final decision. Well, dude, it's not that far from you. Why don't you no. try and go and sit in on the I'm trial? not going to sit in that. You know that's going to be weeks so long. You can sit down on a couple of days. Come on. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> 
Well, it's maybe it's, maybe you can come into town. Well, I will be in town in August, as you remember. I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, you could totally we could make a trip down there and maybe see what's going on if if they don't put a gag order and and make it I can't remember the term, but make it basically private. Not open um, to the public. Yeah. Right now the judge is not agreeing to that. He's he's not, you know, good. That that's not going to happen, but they're still pushing pretty hard on it. Um, and then the other thing is <laughs> one thing that they mentioned to the defense attorney was the police at some point released data about the, the case over like on a Friday afternoon, right before they were going to leave for the weekend. And the lawyer said, it's not too often that we get evidence delivered at the same time as the public. <laughs> so there's a lot of sketchy stuff going on with this case. I mean, part of me i part of me sees a lot of merit um and i i do recommend going to that podcast um three men and a mystery they do go into a lot of detail and i went into this thinking i really don't think he did it like there's really just not enough evidence and then when they first started i was like yeah i really i really don't feel like he did it but then they go further into some other details and talk to some other people i'm like oh this is a lot deeper than i thought so that's why i say this is going to be weeks in this trial because there's so much to go over and there's so much information i really don't know where i land though with all the information that i was able to dig up i think it's entirely possible i do think the police i honestly kind of think the police at least had an idea or suspected and maybe were incompetent and also may have been trying to protect somebody if they suspected it was one of them I and they could have been wrong well, yeah they could have been wrong well they probably were wrong um <laughs> i will say that my opinion currently right now is that they don't have enough evidence to put charges against him from what you've told me DNA is not a sufficient enough evidence. DNA on some clothing, and especially not knowing the amount of DNA and whether um, it has degraded to an extent. I, I just, I, that's not enough evidence to me. Well, and that it, was one of the questions they asked too. How much of this DNA do you have left? You've compared it to how many suspects? Yeah, that's like, you. How much could you possibly have left twenty years later? to even use it as a viable piece of evidence at this point. And even, you know, what I read, high, high probability that, okay, give me a percentage here. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah, because typically they'll give a, like a, it's a one and 3.5 million chance that it's not them. Now I did, I, I could be wrong. But I feel like I do remember um, either listening to one of the podcasts or, or seeing it in an article um, about the, DN the, the company that did the DNA profiling. And from what I understood, that's kind of the, the terminology that they use. So it may have been the, the website's omission of putting in the actual numbers. But from what I had heard on... I'm, I'm pretty sure it was the podcast, the the professional, because they actually or, uh, interviewed somebody from that company. They said that there was basically no chance that that DNA did not match him. That being said, it still doesn't make any difference. That still doesn't prove that he had anything to do. With no, it murders. doesn't. So to me, that alone doesn't. You can't even provide me with a, a motive. Now, the only motive I could see is if he was on the police force they were covering it up that one thread of theory was accurate but that's no the only way that. but, well and there's no way that the prosecutor is going to bring that forward no they're not if also, it was the only thing that that proves is that he had sexual contact with an underage person that's it i mean well i mean i'll say for sure i there's no way i could sit on that jury and say without a reasonable 
beyond a reasonable doubt that this person is guilty. Yeah. I don't think they have enough to say that. And I think some people don't understand the responsibility that they have when sitting on a jury, that it is beyond a reasonable doubt. If you have a smidge in your mind that it could possibly be another person, then that's not beyond a reasonable doubt. If you question it and you're not a hundred percent sure if it's possible in your mind that it could be somebody else, you can't really convict them. Yeah, but it's all going to come down to the show that the prosecution and yeah. the defense puts on for that jury. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to yeah. base their judgment on what the actual evidence is, even though that's their job. It's literally going to be who puts on a better show. And I have seen court cases from start to finish before, and they put on some shows, let me tell you. And they also really like to hear themselves talk, I've noticed. I, I have no idea what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> you had to turn your mic off. <laughs> I did. <laughs> well you get to listen to it multiple times whenever you're reviewing all of the the sounds to make oh it sound God, amazing which by the way thank you yeah, very very welcome. much dude this was a great episode i i've really enjoyed this i'm looking forward to any ad- updates that you give us on it i'm hoping that in the update i can do a whole another one because all of that information is going to be made i mean a lot of it's going to be made public so might be able to do at least a mini on some of the information that they released and then what the what the ruling was. Yeah, hopefully. So we'll see. Let's hope for a, um, a full one so we can get that coroner's report. Yeah. Yeah, at least we'll know. September-ish, I'm thinking, if August goes through. Let's, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right. Well, good job. Um, Thank you. So, Sam. Where can our two listeners find us on Instagram? <laughs> at Reaper Tales Podcast. They can also find us on Facebook at Reaper Tales Podcast. They can email us at ReaperGals at ReaperTales.com with any show suggestions, um, any suggestions for mini episodes, any suggestions for anything outside of getting new mics because we just did. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Be sure to uh, rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to follow us so you know when our next episodes are out. Until next time. The Reaper will come.